the brain is constantly processing, you know, all of our senses together. And when those senses don't line up, when there's any kind of discrepancy between our visual and our auditory input, the brain really doesn't like that. And I mean, ultimately, ads have actors who are acting. And at times, their facial expressions or what they're doing might not sync up perfectly to uh, what they're saying, because again, it's acting. But when there's not that second sense kind of as that that check on that experience and it really is just the script in an audio ad or in an audio environment uh it it feels much more realistic because you're not having that clash of processing between those two inputs welcome to the sound and marketing podcast welcome back to part two of my interview with rfl buzan and mike schulte of mindshares neurolab Today, we jump into the conversation talking about memory versus emotional intensity, changing messaging based off of the audio environment, the speed in which different emotions affect us, and building trust in a brand's messaging with vocal intention. Um, I would be curious to see a study of people processing podcasts through uh, far-field speakers, like through smart speakers and things like that, where there is distraction around them, uh, rather than having the headphones on. Um, because with the TV, there's obviously distractions when you're there because you're not plugged in. Um, it would be interesting to see if the the um, the rate of memory and recall and connection were the same, or if uh, the numbers were different. Yeah, I. I, I would love to do a uh, like a, a home assistant based study, um, especially because if you just start thinking of the activities done in conjuncture to listening, a lot of that is going to be kind of like repeated motor skills like cooking. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you start to have those associations, you, you're actually helping memory processing. Um, it's why people fidget. It's why people do stuff like that when they're trying to learn information. Uh, so it's quite likely that there's a, a different kind of way in for attentional and, and memory advantage when folks are doing something like a motor skill while they are listening. And I think that would be a, a fantastic study to explore. Let's talk about memory versus intensity, because your study showed that the pre-roll ads had the higher memory recognition, but mid-roll has higher emotional intensity. How should people use this information when crafting their campaigns? Which is more important to the brain, would you would you think? Yeah, um, so that's a great question. And it, it really gets at the heart of the fact that podcast advertisements and, and audio advertisements in general allow for so much intentional strategy, uh, linking up the purpose of an ad with uh, the exact environment neurologically that's going to speak to what that purpose needs. So for example, if uh, we're a brand that's running a brand building campaign and it's it's quite emotional and we really want people to associate our brand more with you know trust and safety. Um, that's going to be a fantastic uh, use case of a mid-roll advertisement. You're really going to be picking up on kind of that uh, host halo effect, how much people uh, emotionally engage with you know the hosts of the shows and, and with the content itself. And that's going to transfer over nicely to uh, that mid-roll advertisement. Um, but on the other hand, if you are running a campaign that 
is much more about, you know, facts and figures or a new launch, really something that is, is new information where you're going to need that attentional advantage, that memory encoding advantage. Uh, that's going to be a really good use case for a, uh, a pre-ad. So uh, all of that is, is kind of an interesting way to start thinking of how audio can serve many different purposes. I think for a long time, uh, folks were, were a little wary of the audio space thinking, you know, what is the purpose of this medium exactly and how should I think about it for my brand? I can't, you know, maybe track it, how I would track other campaigns. And, and that's not true anymore. There are so many ways uh, mm -hmm. to track and, and monitor the effectiveness of audio. Um, and I think studies like this just help us understand how to personalize that experience so much more based off of the 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 role of of the campaign uh, that a brand is running. And I know that this wasn't part of the study, but um, I'm wondering, I, I don't know if you guys have done any of this research, but advertising, I know it's not mid-roll and pre-roll, but have, have there been studies uh, documenting TV and like where the emotional and the memory hits for an ad on television? Because where I'm kind of going with this is I'm guessing it's different. <laughs> and uh, so I, I feel like with a podcast advertisement, um, I would imagine you guys would promote that you might want to retailer your advertisement, not just use the same thing for TV as you would for podcasting. Uh, any thoughts on that? We encourage uh, kind of media environment endemic solutions when it comes to advertising. So not taking the same message and blasting it across. Uh, we, we definitely see the most success from a uh, audio ad creative testing perspective, uh, which we do a lot of in the NeuroLab. Uh, when we found that, you know, that unit was made especially for the audio environment um, and even more so when it's made especially for a specific purpose that the audio environment is is really successful in. So when it's leaning into safety and trust messaging, when it's leaning into more kind of emotion-based messaging, uh, for example, we found that uh, love kind of ads and love stories do really well in the audio space. Uh, so when there is that kind of intention behind thinking of the platform, uh, we definitely see increase in long-term memory encoding, increase in emotional engagement, and uh, also increase in uh, subconscious associations with the brand itself. We measure that pre and post exposure. Uh, and we find that these ads are, are really successful at fundamentally changing how people think about a brand at a subconscious level. So absolutely, when they are intentionally crafted for the environment and are uh, acknowledging the strengths of the environment, that's when we're going to see uh, the most success. Keeping in mind the environment of the situation, the platform, the environment, everything, I feel like marketing and advertising in 30 years ago was very much more just kind of throw and see what takes, you know, uh, I find it really fascinating that we have so many different ways now to uh, document and inform ourselves of how a consumer processes things like just going into, you know, the neural lab itself is just fascinating to me. Yeah, we, uh, we absolutely think that it's a new way of, of looking at uh, effectiveness and uh, has also kind of come right at the the summit of everyone being obsessed with performance-based marketing and uh, being able to track everything. And, and I think the NeuroLab kind of offers this nice step back from that to say, yes, we can track view rates and all of these metrics, but at a 
fundamental level, how are consumers thinking about and uh, processing uh, our brand? What are the emotions that they're associating with it? And how can we think about places in media where we can engage with them in truly meaningful ways uh, through emotion and memory? So I think it's a very new way of looking at, at uh, the, the industry at large, but there's something about it that just feels undeniably simplistic at the same time. Um, and I think that's kind of the, the beauty of, of neuroscience is uh, while it may seem a little odd to be using it to investigate media, we're really just in the business of talking to people at the end of the day. And a lot of that has to do with things like emotional connection and drivers. So uh, really excited to be able to, to keep doing this research. And I think we've been learning a lot just about uh, you know, the human experience in general. Uh, we make the joke all the time in the Neurolab now when we're listening to audio and, and we're having these like really strong emotional reactions. We're like, oh, it's just that information processing going on again. Like this just, <laughs> um, so it's, 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 been a, it's been a fun way to look at uh, the industry. You're both passionate about your work. Is there anything coming up th that coming down the way or that you're working on in the Neurolab that's really exciting that you can tell us about? I think that more and more we've had clients uh, be really excited about the role that very intentional emotions can play and uh, the fact that their, their brand should kind of occupy a couple of key emotions at the core of their ethos. And so we've been working on a work stream with a couple of our clients called Planning for Emotion where uh, we take a really big step back from you know the campaign level way of looking at things and say as a brand what are our key emotions and then investigating different places in media where these emotions are most effectively communicated and i think related to that uh, we've been doing a lot of academic work just around emotion in general so what emotion best primes another emotion uh, which can sound a little funny but when thinking of emotional territories in media, we don't want to just be surrounding the exact same emotion. We also want to be finding places uh, where people are going to be in need of that emotional experience and uh, really encode it in a powerful way. So we did a very interesting study all around uh, priming joy. It was with a CPG company that we, we work with. And uh, they, they wanted to be kind of this beacon of joy. So we looked at three environments. We looked at joy, priming joy. Uh, we looked at sadness, priming joy. And then we mm -hmm. looked at fear, priming joy. Uh, and we looked at you know the exact same ad for that brand in each of those environments. And uh, for joy, we used stimuli of you know babies laughing and golden retriever puppies running around and then showed them an ad from the brand. Um, for sadness, we made folks quite sad. We had them watch the intro to Up which is like oh, the gosh. saddest five minutes <laughs> of cinematic content and then showed them the same ad, another group. And then the third cohort came in and we scared them. We had them watch horror movie clips and then we showed them the same ad. Uh, we then measured the relative ability for, you know, that exact same ad to provoke joy in the brain. Uh, so out of those three, out of joy, priming joy, sadness, priming joy, and fear, priming joy, what do you think was, was most effective? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. Cause I, I could see, uh, a lot of different outcomes from all of them. We, uh, we, most people usually say sadness. Uh, and I think 
they're primed for the emotion priming question because we're doing emotion priming. So they're like, oh, it should be an opposite emotion. Um, and, and that's quite true when you start someone low in valence um, and then and give them something really high in valence. You know, that's what humans love, right? We love those emotion changes. The um, roller coasters. <laughs> the roller coasters, exactly. Uh, but, but the issue with sadness is it's this incredibly slow emotion. We, mm. you know, sit in our sadness, we think about our sadness and a 30 second ad from a CPG brand wasn't able to kind of overcome that brittle. We saw that they eventually did around 15 seconds got out of that more negative valenced neurostate, um, but it wasn't enough to, to get to that really bright uh, joy experience by the end. Um, but we found something really interesting with fear. Fear is this incredibly fast emotion. We are very used to being scared and then laughing it off right afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, and because of that, it, it started people quite negative in valence, but people overcame it in like a less than a second. It was this incredible jump up into a really high joy state. And there's a lot of things you can do from a media perspective for that. You can by different environments where, you know, fear, like uh, horror movies and partnerships with, with different places in, in the horror movie space, or even having up around Halloween and, and other times. So uh, there's a lot of, I think, rich thinking in uh, the, the planning for emotion space. And I think podcasts and audio play a huge role in that because I'd say a lot of brands are uh, very interested in, in the emotions that, you know, the podcast environment can prime really successfully. I'm just thinking of, you know, nostalgia, uh, the, the old radio shows yeah. where they would have their sponsors. Sometimes they were part of the program and you see that a little bit now, um, but not a ton. And I'm just, I'm wondering if we'll get past this pre and mid and post role thing and it'll be a true partnership between, uh, this is more for like the narrative podcasts, but um, a, a real partnership between brand and product, uh, you know, podcast product. It might be a really interesting thing. Yeah, and I think it would it would be very interesting, but also very successful. For, I for think brands. so too. Yeah. Yes, I do. Uh, my husband and I were audio video production company, and he's been preaching product, not just product placement in in movies and film, but like product integration. So it's part of the story, uh, and it doesn't it hasn't caught on like we thought it would have by now. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting because we it's a. It's a very clear thing that we've seen in neural data that if, you know, there's a can of soda behind someone in a shot, it, you know, encodes at X percent. But then if someone's physically touching it and, and consuming it and putting it back down and saying like, oh, I really could, I really needed that. I was so thirsty or somehow connecting to it. Mm -hmm. uh, we see a much higher engagement. And um, I kind of assume that was just like a tried and true inside yeah. an invocation at this point that like if, if you're if you're authentically integrating a product or environment people are gonna more effectively encode and remember that experience well and not even just that but think of wayne's world <laughs> remember yeah. at the end with the pepsi and the pizza and the yeah. tylenol i think it was it was totally funny but like i remember that and it was hilarious and i don't know i wonder what i wonder what their sales did right after wayne's world came out because that was pretty popular Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, we, um, like the simplest things, like we, we tested because everyone shows apps and ads now. Um, and, and we've kind of AB tested how, if you just show the app, it has one response, but then if you have hands that are physically like using and touching the app, uh, it has this 
huge up up in emotion and and memory and uh mike has some interesting findings too about even like shooting being able to see someone using the phone like over their shoulder people really like that it's kind of like including including them in the narrative it's very um yeah versus if you if you're not able to see the screen and i think i think some of that in in some way comes back to trust because i feel like you know in in some contexts we are uh, you know, questioning the the legitimacy of the the actor um, in, in the case of a TV ad, um, in terms of like their interest or or whether or not they're actually interacting with the app that that's being advertised. Um, so I think if you can actually you know see the screen or see someone actually interacting with the app, um, it sort of resolves that that tension um, that we have and and causes people to lean in a little bit more. Mm, very interesting. And that that's so interesting because it kind of gets at like one of the biggest points of audio and, and why it might be so emotionally engaging is the brain is constantly processing, you know, all of our senses together. And when those senses don't line up, when there's any kind of discrepancy between our visual and our auditory input, the brain really doesn't like that. And I mean, ultimately, ads have actors who are acting. And at times, their facial expressions or what they're doing might not sync up perfectly to uh, what they're saying, because again, it's acting. But when there's not that second sense kind of as that, that check on that experience, and it really is just the script in an audio ad or in an audio environment, uh, it, it feels much more realistic because you're not having that clash of processing between those two inputs right and i think just overall there's there's less room for error in a, in a podcast advertisement because of that i yeah that goes back to you know like watching a watching a video as opposed to reading a book um your if, if your mind has perceived the story one way and then the visual tells you a different one that would confuse your brain because you've already kind of made up your mind about it so well, thank you guys so much for being with me today. If anyone wanted to get a hold of you, is there any way that someone could contact you? Yeah, uh, so you can contact either of us uh, at our first and last name. So first.last at mindshareworld.com. Uh, and we're always happy to, to talk to folks about uh, the neuroscience of sound and, and audio. Excellent. Well, thank you so much again for your time, both of you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks again to Arafel and Mike of Mindshare's NeuroLab for joining us. I highly recommend checking out the website. I'll link to it in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my new course, Sounds, Power, and Influence in Marketing, which has officially launched. I love how it turned out, and I can't wait for you to check it out. So go on over to soundedmarketing.com to watch the trailer, view the curriculum, and sign up today. Years of research and information has made this course possible, and I'm confident that there is a little something or a lot in there for everyone. If you're still not sure, don't hesitate to reach out. I'd be happy to answer any and all questions you might have. For inquiries on sonic branding development or consultations, you can find me at Dreamer Productions. That's D-R-E-A-M-R productions.com, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also email me at Gina, J-E-A-N-N-A, at dreamerproductions.com. For more of the Sound and Marketing Podcast, don't forget to follow, subscribe, and share. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and Stitcher. All links will be provided in the show notes. 
This episode was produced by Dreamer Productions and hosted, written, and edited by me, Gina Isham. Let's make this world of sound more intriguing, more unique, and more and more on brand.